However, there is one person on this roundtable who used to be a DJ. Oh. Ooh. Y'all never heard of DJ Spicy Cecil? Still have the fog Really? Machine. That's what, yeah. Brian used to used to sell out the top floor of Saints Sky Bar in, in Louisville. That's Man. right. One time wow. to my friends. <laughs> this is episode 273 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. Before we start today's roundtable podcast, here's your weekly bourbon news update. And well, we're just going to go straight into bourbon release news. So you all know about Evan Williams. Now, Evan Williams Black, Evan Williams Bottle and Bond, and its Evan Williams flavor varieties are going to receive a new signature bottle with updated label designs. Now, the brand was first introduced back in the 1950s, and it quickly became one of the nation's leading bourbons and Heaven Hill Distillery's flagship brand. And today, the brand continues to break milestones at a historic pace, with the Evan Williams family of brands surpassing the 3 million case mark on an annual basis you'll start seeing those new labels and bottles coming to market relatively soon. Well, that might have been the shortest intro ever, so let's kick it up a notch and jump into this week's roundtable. And this week, we look at how the size of a distiller will put a focus on their core name versus creating brand extensions. And then we talk a little about what you can and you can't patent in the whiskey business, really kind of protect your intellectual property. And next, we examine the new Old Forester 150th anniversary and our thoughts on whether you would rather see a single barrel cash strength release or would you rather create a wide release that covers a lot of people. And lastly, we cover what has gone right and what's been done wrong with the limited edition releases that have happened so far that have been in person and online. Well, we've got our 2020 Whiskey Quickie review of the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection coming out very, very soon. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed because our Whiskey Quickies come out every single Tuesday. So if you're not seeing them, that means you're not subscribed. With that, enjoy today's episode, and here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. Today on Twitter, I was reminiscing about the good old days of Weller. This was before I really knew anything about Weller or bourbon in general. In fact, this was when I just kind of kicked bottles back and kind of let it do its thing. I poured some Weller in my flask. I think the year was 2002 and went to a Brewers baseball game. Watched Jeff Jenkins just hustle after after like fly balls and foul balls. And he like, you know, ran out a double. I just Jeff Jenkins was one of my favorite all time players just because the way he hustled. And you could tell he probably didn't have the athleticism as some of the other players around him. Of course, he got linked to steroids later on. But you know what? Everybody else was doing it. So Jeff Jenkins, if you listen, I love you, man. You were one of my favorite players of all time. And anyway, so I'm watching Jeff Jenkins like get this foul ball in, in right field. And I, at that moment, I just I have my flask in my hand and I kicked it back. And I just was like, wow, this is good. This is just so good. Now, looking back, I know that I was drinking something that was special. It was actually cheaper than Maker's Mark back then. Uh, it, and I was like really in a moment of Americana. I wish I could go back to that guy sometimes. I wish I could go back to the time 
when I didn't really know anything about bourbon, and I just kicked it back and watched baseball games and have the time of my life. Those were the good old days. Sometimes it is true, ignorance is bliss. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website, fredminnick.com. Just look for my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. It is the 49th edition of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. It's a podcast where we talk about all things that are topical, fun, releases, just whatever is happening in the world of bourbon. And we bring in some of the best personalities, the biggest blogs and authors that are out there to help share some of those interesting tidbits and sides and whatnot to be able to kind of just put a little, you know, color commentary on it, if you will. So of course, the whole Bourbon Pursuit gang's here tonight. Myself, Fred and Ryan. Fellas, how you doing tonight? Doing well. Great. Doing good. All right. Awesome. We're, we're, we're right, right on the cusp of 50. We are. We're getting close. We are yep. getting close. And Which, so, go ahead, I was gonna say, is that going to be a conversation? Like, do we have that on air, off air? I, I feel like the, the live fiftieth uh, show had a lot of steam from last episode, but then kind of died off thanks to 
Kenny being on jury duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it at the end of this one. We'll okay, see, see if we can get the crowd and kind of get some other uh, suggestions going on. And, and we'll whatnot. just get Blake's Blake's private jet to fly us, you know, <laughs> yeah, to, to yeah. one spot. Perfect. Yeah. Do it. Do it together. Just waits around. Yep. We're we'll, all in. We'll live. Let's go live in a bubble for fourteen days, and then we'll yeah. uh, <laughs> have our live bourbon number fifty. <laughs> all right. So before we kind of kick it off and do a, a, a roundtable here and let people introduce themselves, Fred and Ryan, I'm going to go to you first with our random kind of question tonight. It's going to be a quick one. Orange juice, pulp or no pulp? Uh, neither. Neither. Just I, I don't like orange juice. Don't like orange yeah, juice. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, I, don't like I mean, juice. if I drink it, it'll be pulp, but. Uh, Man, it gives me terrible heartburn. The only time yeah. I drink it now is if uh, I'll get a splash of it in a golfer's delight before I tee off, which is <laughs> vo- Fred's favorite vodka Sprite and then a splash of OJ. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't hear anything there. <laughs> <laughs> did, a, did a Bourbon Pursuit co-host just say they drank vodka? What? Yeah, it's good for uh, teeing off. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know how you all are not orange. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like heartburn man heartburn really yeah. yeah terrible heartburn i mean i don't actively go and seek it out i mean it's, sometimes it's just here or whatever but if i if i do drink it i'm like pulp all the way like more i could chew like that's what i really like so we're uh let's go ahead and kick this off so we'll go to the person below me tonight so jordan you're up first hey sure this is jordan from breaking bourbon one of the three guys who runs breakingbourbon.com i'm excited to be here as always make sure to check us out for our latest reviews and release calendars and articles Oh, right and uh, are we answering OJ or no? Yes, yes. Oh, all right. So I am definitely a no pulp person, and I don't do coffee or tea. But if I don't have my OJ, I will shank someone in the morning. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> blood sugar control there. Yeah, he's ready. Serious OJ drinker. I'm more questioning the no coffee. I mean, how do you live and survive uh, and stay wake up for life? Wake up for life. My wife wow. hates apparently so. <laughs> all right, Blake, you chimed in there. Birthday boy, go ahead and. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm, well, I'll do the intro. I'm Blake from Bourboner. Um, it's B-O-U-R, my birthday. B-O-N-R, it was yesterday, it was. Um, and uh, as well as Sealbox.com, S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S. As always, always fun to be here. And I'm definitely with Kenny. The more, more pulp, the better. Um, I don't know who would drink orange juice without pulp in it. You know, being from Florida, you expect just like somebody fresh squeezed an orange. You don't want it like manufactured tasting and thin and you know you need the pulp so and florida will trust on this one <laughs> not many things but an orange juice i think we got that one covered <laughs> about A any florida, other category yeah florida man just gave his opinion on orange juice <laughs> it, it credits <laughs> us but uh except for oranges we we've got that down <laughs> all right brian what's up man Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I'm full on pulp. Uh, so I can't provide a different opinion on this. I'm just going to agree with everyone, but I've got to have it. But I'm also coffee. So mm. it's orange juice and then full on coffee for the rest of the morning. But uh, but I'm Brian with Sippin' Corn. You can find me on the socials at uh, Sippin' Corn, S-I-P-P-N-C-O-R-N, and also at bourbonjustice.com and sippincorn.com. By the way, Brian, I noticed your uh, first thing I noticed when you popped on was your barrel head behind you. Just want to say thanks for thanks for having that. You know, I missed. Well, uh, I loved having you at Bourbon and Beyond. All of you all were great hosts and everything, but uh, you get points in my book today for for remembering. 
Thanks, Brian. Well, I, I pulled that out special because we're right about at the anniversary and it's I kind of had a moment of silence for it, but uh, we'll be back next year bigger and better. I would have I would have done it if I got a barrel. I <laughs> so, well, I too I don't know have, where mine went. <laughs> I have a barrel head somewhere. I know where mine is. I, I, a, I'm holding a hostage. I, I owe you a barrel head, Blake. It'll be on its Ryan, way. Ryan, you didn't get a barrel head? <laughs> oh, no, no. Mary Ann must have took it or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It might have happened that way. I'll ask her. Okay. They, they should have okay. all been given out on stage, but oh, well. It was pouring down rain, so, I mean, it's all good. Well, even last year they had them, but yeah, I don't really remember uh, coming away with one either. But yeah, it was tough to carry around a barrel head all day if you're at a, at is, a festival. That is tough. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead. Let's jump into our topics tonight because we got a lot of good stuff, and I really, really want to make sure we set a lot of time for this. So this question actually came from Blake. He was actually having this conversation with one of his, I don't know, what whiskey drinking buddies, friends, whatever you call them. Yeah, and, it was, it was people in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you want me to intro the question? I'll tell you uh, what, this was your question, so we'll, why don't we'll you switch do it? things up? I like that. I like that. So the uh, the question was: there's a lot of new brands and distilleries. We don't see as much diversification in the brand. And you look at you know, Barrel has Barrel Bourbon. They have Barrel Rye. They have Barrel Dovetail. You know, Pinhook has different wax colors with horses. Um, you know, Bardstown Bourbon has Bardstown Bourbon Discovery. Bardstown Bourbon Fusion. You know, there's a lot of these. Uh, instances of that, whereas with the older distillers, it was Buffalo Trace, Eagle Rare, E.H. Taylor, MRT Lee, um, you know, Wild Turkey, 101, Rare Breed, Russell's Reserve, you know, look at Beam, Knob Creek, Jim Beam, Booker's, Baker's. Uh, so, so I guess the main question is, is it just money that's holding these distilleries and brands back from, you know, just casting that net out a little bit further or is it's you know, they get a little goodwill, so they want to utilize that goodwill. Or what are some of the other kind of things that are at play with, with these newer brands and distilleries not diversifying into completely separate brands, but sticking with one main thing? And does that cause confusion for the consumer? It's straight up strategy. You basically have to, all, all the ones that you named are heavy, heavy heavily infrastructured uh, brands and, you know, with distilleries behind them, you can go even further back to to Bullet, uh, which Bullet decided to you know when they when they got a rye into the game, they decided to keep it Bullet Rye, you know. And there's there's something to be said for building brand equity, and I think the way Barrel's doing it is really smart, um, you know, because you don't know that for a rye or a blend or whatever, you know them for mm. Barrel. Now there have been some uh, some brands that did try to do the uh, the extensions in different products and it didn't work out well. the The best one is Sam Houston and Jefferson's. Now a lot of people don't know that Jefferson's, Trey Zoller, and Chad Zoller were were doing Sam Houston, but that was actually kind of lagging them behind uh, on on Jefferson's. So so it is it's a it's a dangerous game to play, especially if you don't have the stocks and you don't have the brand equity, you know. And another example of someone doing a ride is Kentucky Owl in terms of this. You know, Kentucky Owl had a bourbon, they had a rye, and boom, they sell after only selling like 120, 26 cases in their lifetime. So in, unless you have the stocks, unless you have the ability that you can, you know, muscle through uh, without having brand equity, you, know, you, have, you have to keep it under the one, one branding house. 
So yeah. I'll throw one more caveat in there. And I think it's probably on that same line of thinking with Fred. The only one I can think who is doing it is Michter's with Bombarders and Shanks. And, you know, I'm sure somebody else can put someone in the chat, but as I went through as many lists in my head as I could think of, and they're the only ones I can see that are, and maybe they just are at that point where they have enough brand equity with Michter's um, in, in those lineups. And they've said, Hey, now we can kind of diversify a little bit, but I think that one's pretty, pretty unique in that Shanks and Bombarders are related to Michter's, you know, so those are the like historical. Yeah. There's like a historical tie. Like those were both all from the original, you know, Michter's distillery. And so they have that history under one umbrella. And, you know, I, I think what Michter's is doing is, is, is unique. I don't think that can really be duplicated. Unless someone wants to actually, you know, you're seeing you're seeing early times moving over to Sazerac, you know, there might be a play for mm-hmm. them to do something similar from like the 1800s. But uh, yeah, there's not many people who can pull that off. Yeah, I mean, I, with I Mixters think- too, they have the history going for them too, right? I mean, Barrel doesn't have the history going back like Mixters has. So they can they can you know they built that brand equity in terms of just whiskey drinkers and, and the history behind it. So they're they're able to experiment a little bit. I mean, Barrel, Pinhook, Smooth Ambler, they just don't they don't have that. Yeah, I, I really love this question because it also makes me think of just things that that what we do usually like if you're an app builder, you usually what you do is you you start off, you build something. If it doesn't stick, you scrap it and you start building the next app and you do this over and over again until you find something that sticks. So it's kind of funny that we don't see this inside of a whiskey world to say, like, let's start building a label and let's see if it sticks. Like, let's see if like people start catching on to it. How are sales going and everything like that? And if it starts taking off, great. If it doesn't, eh, tail it off. You look at what Heaven Hill did and gosh, long, long time ago, how many brands do they own that we don't even, I mean, they've got mm-hmm. labels in their label room for stuff that's not even on the shelves anymore. Like that's how many brands that they have. And so you could try to just continually put out different things and just hope something sticks and you could just be some shadow company in the back end. That's actually probably not a bad business decision if you want to try it at the end of the day instead of putting you know, all your eggs in one basket with one brand and hoping you can really build that equity into it instead of starting to take like, you know, smaller chunks here or there. Yeah. To that point, Kenny, I think you're pot committed though, when you're a distillery, if you're starting out as, as a distillery, you've already named your, your brand before you can sell anything, unless you're, you're sourcing it, you start sourcing it, you're using that brand. And then you have little side names, you have your contradictions, you have your uh, very old, old scout or you know you have new riff balboa rye i mean you you branch off a little bit but you gotta you gotta work with the name of your your distillery it's harder to scrap it all or you just do what other people do and you just change it by one proof point and it's a whole different label <laughs> oh, a whole new label that's right. <laughs> the thing too though right so that, that's a really good point with heaven hill kenny but you know back 20 years ago right you could do that the market was way less crowded than it is now nowadays if you're diluting yourself amongst you know the hundreds and thousands of brands when you take all the craft distilleries out there, it's a lot harder to do, right? You want to build up your name as much as possible in that consumer mind. And Heaven Hill back in the day, they're competing against themselves basically, right? Trace and Beam and Turkey, but there was a lot less competition. Craft distilleries, not as big as they were. So they almost wanted to diversify out there and make it look like a bigger market, make it look like in case somebody did hate Heaven Hill, they can go after one of their other products. And you, you really can't nowadays do that. It's just too crowded. Tim Evans yeah. brings up a good point in the chat talking about will it, you know, uh, they do a really good job with that. And again, 
they they were sitting on stock they stockpiled whiskey i mean i think it really comes down to is how much whiskey do you have you know mm. will it everybody wants talk talks about will it being small will it is not small i mean if you if they were in any other state they you know we'd be looking at them as a juggernaut but they're in kentucky right down the road from uh heaven hill and they have you know I, they've got a warehouse going up that's going to hold 25,000 barrels you know that's not small so they've got a lot of liquid, and it really comes down to is like how much liquid do you have, and that's it's well, that simple. How do you how do you explain uh, Old Forester then? You we get you mentioned early times to get rid of that, so you're really focusing on Old Forester, and you're got all these brand extensions on Old Forester. They've got enough, right? Well, yeah, and Old Forester too. You got to remember a good chunk of Old Forester has been going into the the batching of Woodford Reserve, and also early times is a completely different recipe. So, you know, you're not looking at, you know, apples to apples, but, you know, Brown Foreman finally woke up and said, holy shit, we have this heritage brand. Let's put some attention to it and build a distillery and all this. And it's like they've been, they've had this gold mine just sitting in their closet and they've been pushing Jack Daniels and Woodford Reserve for the last 25 years. Nothing wrong with that. Great brands. But, you know, I'm just glad to see that Old Forester is doing now. Maybe. That's Maybe they're going a little overboard right now with, with all the <laughs> I mean, they, they're looking at what Buffalo Trace did with Weller and said, hey, hold my beer. I got a point for you. <laughs> yep. I think, too, with I'm looking at, like, barrels, different stuff, and, like, the pin hook. It just makes it easier to scale, you know, when you're young and you're starting. It, you know, setting up different presses and label prints and – you know, they got the same bottle. So even though the labels may be different, it's not harder for them to change out, you know, a label line to, to do that extent, you know, whereas if you get a different bottle, different brand, you're looking at a whole nother bottling line, a whole nother this, you know, so it just makes it more scalable at first. And like the other big distillers, hell, they didn't even ho own half the brands, you know, they're selling today. So yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, whereas the, you know, that's except for Jim Beam, they probably have owned most of those, but, uh, Certainly Heaven Hill and Buffalo Trace didn't own them. Um, but I think it's a scaling issue because as Kenny and I are figuring out with Pursuit Series and now doing a different line, you know, you're it's expensive to change shit and, and do different, you know, labels and corks and all that stuff. So it just makes it easier to scale if you can have that one brand and then kind of make them all a little similar. Mm. Now, Blake, I'll put this back to you because you're the one retailer in this in this roundtable. Are you looking at it as like that's another skew for me to sell? It's the same damn thing, but I can mark it up twice as much because it's in a nicer package. Um, yes and no. Um, you know, we're not looking like, hey, we can mark it up twice as much. But I had this conversation with uh, Chattanooga. They said, hey, we got a new experimental release. Would you be interested? I'm like. Yeah, absolutely. Because one, it's a cool product. I, I love what they're doing. So I want to bring it in and sell it. But two, it's just another reason to talk to the customer and say, hey, this is coming. And, and then you never know, like people are like, oh, I, I love their other stuff. I'd love to try it. So I think it does. It's just one more reason for a customer to give that brand and distillery a shot again, or for maybe for the first time, whether it's something experimental so they say hey i'd like to try that that sounds cool so now later on down the line they may just try the flagship brands and vi vice versa so for the people who only drink the flagship brands it's a new reason to try something new so i you know it, it's it's uh 
there needs to be constraints on it either way. You know, if you just come out with one line and that's it and nothing else, it's going to be boring. If if you have 500 different brand spinoffs underneath the same line, that's going to be confusing. So you kind of got to find that middle ground. Um, But yeah, from a retail standpoint, I think you always need to be coming out with something new and somewhat innovating and, you know, maybe something more than just a proof point, hopefully. And, um, it, and it gives consumers something to talk about. We wouldn't have round tables if they're everybody just put out <laughs> one product. So <laughs> it's um, all 93 proof. <laughs> yeah. This is the fun part of it. And I know Kenny probably wants to get on, but there's another brand that you represent, uh, that has multiple SKUs and they're small and that's spirits of French lick spirits of French mm-hmm. lick has like Lee Sinclair and then, Maggie, Maddie Gladden, Maddie Mm -hmm. Gladden. Mm -hmm. And, and like, and it's kind of like, I know, I know those brands before I know spirits of French lick. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of seeing it play out a little bit with at sealbox.com. That, that is true. I didn't even think of them. That's another good example where they are, they truly are taking that old Kentucky uh, line. You know, they had, they had the weeder, then they had the Lee Sinclair. Now it's Lee Sinclair bottled and bond and it's Maddie Gladden bottled, bottled and bond. And then they have their Hoosier brandy, which is uh, an apple brandy. So they're taking that old approach. Um, but they're also making some incredible bourbon and whiskey and brandy. Damn, so that yeah. helps too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That barrel the product's really good. That barrel finish of theirs is just friggin' unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like another question for you on the retail side, because I'm assuming that when you start thinking about this, you get into a problem of like skew sprawl, meaning that all these brands are starting to come out with all this stuff. Like, what is a good point that you have to eclipse where a brand can say, like, okay, like we've done this really well, like checkbox, like we can go ahead and try to do something else, or we can try, you know, what Ryan and I are doing, trying to expand and trying to push into a, another line to. Mm-hmm. Is there something that says like when somebody even, you know, when they first start, they're like, all right, day one, we're coming out with, you know, our 93 proof, our bottled and bond, our cash drink and our rye. And we're doing three different variations of that. Plus the toasted barrel. And you're like, hold mm-hmm. on. Like, that's just like 10 different products. And you've yet to even test the market and sell one thing yet. Yeah. So, and we're a little different being online, you know, we're not worried about shelf space. We have a little more room because whenever we have a product page, we can put, more stuff up there for people to see. Um, But we run into this not as much more in the bourbon world as like, and and Fred's going to hate this, but some of these vodkas and rums and it's like, you you know, I know these things sell really well out of the tasting room, but I don't need 12 flavors. I don't care if they're naturally infused of vodka. That's, that's a much tougher thing to sell for us. So, um, but, but like in the bourbon world, I think you have to have that product out there that is doing well that people recognize you know give it six months sell through some barrels and then hit people with that second that second skew and then you know maybe three months down from that and hit them with another one otherwise you're just you can't be all things to all people and that applies to more than the bourbon world i know but it it, it's tough like i think you need to find that market and and kind of go after that hard and then from there say all right these people loved the cash strength releases that we did it's in these ages now let's try something different with maybe something a little bit older at lower proof or a a barrel finishing a toasted barrel something like that just keep numbers low and prices high and they'll sell but i mean (laughs) look look at yeah look at like angel's envy good formula Uh, i mean what what are we at 
I know they've had a couple special releases in the last couple of years, but they became a massive company really off of two SKUs. I know the cash strength started coming out. What was that like 2013 ish, but the yeah, Ryan, really the bourbon, yeah, it's, it's so small. yeah, the, the Ryan, yeah. the bourbon, they just, they went globally essentially and sold for who knows how much off of two SKUs. And so, um, you know, you never want to pick an outlier and say, this is the road ahead, but, um, I think that's a good example. They they found their niche. They went fully after their niche, and um, once they you know had good feedback, and then after that, they're like, "All right, now we'll throw you like a Japanese cask finished Angel's Envy or something like that." <laughs> Seems to be the recipe for success. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a really good question, Blake. I mean, because really, you could take this in a lot of different ways. The way that you look at what big brands are doing, what craft brands are doing, and try to find that happy medium of mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't go broke first in the process. So, <laughs> well, and it's funny you see the you see the big brands copying what the small brands. They're like you said with Old Forester and now Elijah Craig and different. You know, it's like they're all doing like line extensions off that one brand now, versus you know sticking to that that brand or creating another brand. You know what I think is really interesting in this world too, now that we think about that, is that it's really hard to patent something like that, like a toasted finish or mm-hmm. any kind of finish that you could be like, no, like this is ours. Like this is our only recipe, our only formula. Like we're the only one that could have this. It's it's amazing that you can't patent something like that and and own it. And it's so easy for somebody in, you know, one of these big guys that you go and be like, well, what, a ride double barrel finish? Oh yeah, sure, we can do that. Like we'll just do it next yeah. week. Like there's there's nothing in this uh, in this ecosystem that protects any sort of intellectual property like that. Now you, you can't patent the yeast, right, Brian? But you can't patent like a, or trademark an actual recipe, right? So the the recipes, and that's that's a funny thing about all these is that the recipes, the folks who don't tell you the recipes, there's no reason they they shouldn't be telling you those. But the the procedures that you do sometimes can be patented, and and Buffalo Sazerac's trying to patent right now uh, a new sour mash method that they say E.H. Taylor yeah. used. And E.H. Taylor himself tried to patent different methods. So when you get into that methodology, you can sometimes patent it. But if someone else does it slightly differently, then it's it's fair game to do it. So if you're maybe a different char level on your on your double barrel or something like that, you do that and there's there's no protection. So there's no sense trying to get a patent for that. Hmm. But the equipment, the yeast, all that's fair game. Well, the, the yeast is can still be proprietary and you can protect it because it's proprietary. But the recipe generally, not so much. Yeah, but a lot of, a lot of the things that they are trying to do is to do with the equipment. You right. know, like they're trying to like, they create like a special tank or they have a special mm-hmm. filtration system. And they're trying to like, you know, patent that. that that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Which, I mean, really at the end of the day, though, patent all you want, right? Two different whiskey yeah. distillers doing the same thing in two different parts of the country. They're going to have two totally different results just based on climate, based on aging, based on everything else. So it's kind of a moot point a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hell, look day, at Will. It's, you got Elijah Craig sitting up aging on the top of the hill. Tastes yep. way different than Elijah Craig down at the bottom of the hill. Yep. You know, <laughs> same damn whiskey, different warehouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Brian, your check's in the mail. Thanks for answering that one for us. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> so let's kind of move on to the next one. So Old Forester drops three batches of their new cash drinks, 150th anniversary. And 
before I even saw the price, I was actually really excited because I got the package, opened it up. I was like, oh, sweet. 150th cash strength anniversary coming these little baby tubes that they sent for media samples. And then uh, I was thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be great. Like there's a new competitor in the marketplace against Elijah Craig Barrel Proof and Booker's. And then they said, oh, it's $150 a bottle. And I was like, well, never mind. That's that's gone. It's no longer a, a competitor to it. This is definitely a limited release, one-time only sort of thing. So I was kind of curious and, and kind of got me thinking a little bit. Uh, Ryan, I want to ask you this one first. So would you rather see a new line extension that's a wide release of Barrel Proof, like a Booker's or Elijah Craig coming from Old Forester, or do you think that they did it right by doing only barrel selections at Barrel Proof for Old Forester? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's point of sale Go Mobile device for a battle tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Would you rather see a new line extension that's a wide release of barrel proof, like a Booker's or Elijah Craig coming from Old Forester, or do you think that they did it right by doing only barrel selections at barrel proof for Old Forester? Me personally, I think they did it right with the barrel selections because I think their whiskey at barrel proof is too damn hot. <laughs> like, mm. like it's, uh, I mean, there's some unique ones that are, that are, good but i think old forester is perfectly balanced at like a hundred proof and i don't know you can try all three of them you, you can do the barrel proof the bald and bond and then the you know the standard 90 or whatever and for me to me the hundred proof is the best all around now um you know the three different batches we had one that was fantastic there was one i thought was awful and i hadn't had the other one but uh and and that was that one batch that was awful is so damn hot that like it just ruined anything that was good going on it. So I just think like you should be able to choose and pick that uh, as a drinker if you want that versus uh, I just think they're going to have a hard time doing it in big batches and having a consistently good product. 
Well, but I mean, that's, that's why me. that's why Booker's and Elijah Craig they come out with new batches every single time. Yep. So it still kind of keeps that. I guess you could say liveliness alive that people want to go and search for them and they like yeah i gotta have the a one talking about it yeah. yeah keeps people trying it keeps the keeps B, a new b517 look for yeah. keep something new on yep. uh on breaking bourbon's <laughs> website that says stag junior batch 29 the best of 2030 right so <laughs> no yeah I, I get it but how many other batches did you talk about of stag junior till then you know. Oh man, Stag had a rough start. That's a whole yeah, different. Was, that's a whole different. Uh, yeah, it was harsh to start out. Oof. It's surprised it made it that far, but kudos to them for that one. Different topic though. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish they would come out with something that would compete with with Booker's and and Elijah Craig twelve year barrel proof. I mean, that's I, I, those are priced so fairly in today's market that there's there's room for that, and uh, and I. I've loved so many Old Forester private selections when you're drinking it out of the barrel. Um, and man, if they could put some of those together for a for a regular or three times a year, whatever barrel proof, I'd, I'd be all in favor of that. Yeah. I guess the closest thing they have would be Old Forester 1920, which is 115. But, you know, I'm looking at this as like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, I just I, I think that I, phrase is trademark now. <laughs> I think you're I think Chris Carter trademarked it actually. Um but I uh I just I don't know. I I, I kind of I want to they were we had such a really nice trend of pro new products coming out that were under 50 bucks. You know, whether it was the uh Old Forester rye or the Elijah Craig rye or old the new old tub. I mean I just, I just thought we were kind of had this momentum of, of, um, of more properly priced bourbons and I get it's limited edition. I mean, I look, I spent, I just spent, you know, don't say it. Three, don't say yeah, it. I, I don't even need to say it. <laughs> I spent way too much money on the William Heaven Hill and other things. Um, as you, I kind of want to know how much you spent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not saying, uh, but so. Uh, you know, I just, I, I just thought we were getting at that place uh, where we could, we were seeing some drop in SRPs. But I get that this is a limited edition. I get that this is a 150th anniversary. I get that this is special. But I'm still going to taste it blind up against Old Forester 1920 and Old Forester 100. And you know, we'll see how it does. I mean, it, these these could be whiskey of the year potentials for breaking bourbon and myself. I mean, who knows? It could be freaking brilliant. So I, I'm disappointed in the pricing. I'm disappointed in the pricing, but so it, I, I'll, I'll hold off on judging it for the whiskey. Th this is it's an got, amateur it's got a tube, question. It's got a amateur question. Is 1920 and 1910 the same age as these? Uh, no, they're not. Or are they older? So the 150th anniversary is a non-age dated release. Mm -hmm. I believe if I remember in the... I don't know, whatever that thing was, the kind of media day. It's like seven years old, maybe six to eight years old. Is Around that range. Yeah. So, But but it's double of that because heat cycling. Yes, of course. Of course. Mm. That's their claim to fame. Is a little bit of sunkissed. A little bit of sunkissed. See, I'd be for the six to eight year, but like the four year range, like, I don't know. I've been in, Brian, you're right. There's some very fantastic barrel proofs at the four year, but there's some that are just so damn hot. You're like, get this shit out of my mouth. It's burning. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, if it's like at the six to eight range, I'm all for it, but not the, not the four year. 
I think it's a really quick side note, going back to Fred's comment about pricing. I think it's really interesting too, right? So one, I, I think it'd just be one, it'd be great to see an old Forester, like a three times a year thing, just like Booker's, just like Logic Barrel Proof. It'd be great to see that. I think more choice of consumers, the better. But in terms of pricing, it's really interesting, especially with this fall. You've noticed a lot of like, like staple new releases coming out. They are going lower in price and like the consumer should be able to afford them if they can find them. But then all the limited releases for like skyrocketed this fall more than ever, right? Like Rabbit Hole, this, I mean, King of Kentucky came out with theirs again. It's just everyone's trying to one-up each other and you're just watching the limited release prices climb and you're like, what is going on? Which just discourages a lot of folks who, you know, they're already saying I'm not gonna be able to find it and I'm not gonna be able to afford it. So it would be nice to see if they came out with something that was year round, even if it was, you know, two to three times a year, but at a price that consumers could afford, right? We'll say $100 or less. Honestly, wrong, it's still a lot of money, but. Honestly, we've talked about this in the past, but guys, they're all pricing to prevent like flippers and secondary market. I mean, they they talk about that. They say we're pricing like this to prevent, um, you know, going on the secondary. But that's market. kind of like uh, at first it might have been an argument. Yeah, now now I think it's a uh, it's just the new normal. It's yeah. what it's going to be. It, but it's yeah. the instead of the secondary market, it's the retailer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the retailer. That's that's jacking it up. I mean, how 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 many times have we seen a bottle of um, I don't know, you know, Weller's an easy one, but I've seen like regular I've seen regular Four Roses single barrel for like seventy five bucks. I'm like, that's just nuts, you know. And that's just yeah. I, I think you're seeing a lot more of like everyday mom and pop retailers just jacking prices up. And I mean, there's a reason why that guy on Instagram went from like no followers to like close to a hundred thousand because he's calling people out for that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like that's, that's a whole other subject. So I won't, but you, you know, who was it? We've was been like, down that rabbit hole before. Yeah. Was like, Hey, we've, uh, you, you know, we're bumping the price up because this will be a 10,000 bottle, $10,000 bottle in five years or something. And it's like, yeah. Uh, Boss Hog, whatever release is still sitting on shelves in most places. Right. So, yeah. like, don't use that as an excuse to. I forgot about that one. Um, I don't know. Black Black Prince, baby. One is that the, what it, the Black Prince is so good. I mean, yeah. I buy it when I see it. I mean, it's, well, I mean, yeah. they're, they're like they were good releases. There's no doubt about it. But um, you know, it was 500 bucks. And as for the uh, what was our original question? I don't think I chimed in on that one. <laughs> it was the old Forester. <laughs> if you'd Would rather you have the, uh, a common, do you wish they would lower their prices? That's the it, yeah, no, I, I I haven't tasted it, and you know, I saw the press release, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting because you know they released like the old Forester Rye, which I know Fred named some of the best whiskey out there for the price, and I think I put it on the list. It was just really good so this seems like an um you know swing in the other direction but hey they gotta they gotta make sure they're uh, hitting all markets i guess so they they know that i'm sure they saw the popularity of the old forester uh private barrel whenever they i'm sure you know whenever that opened up to barrel proof and they're like oh man everybody wants this and i bet they'd pay 150 bucks and you know i, I don't expect to see this one sitting on shelves i guess i'll say that it'll go for sure i mean you could you could put a you could put a pile of shit in a tin can and call it bourbon <laughs> reserve and charge 50 bucks for it and somebody would buy it i mean it's just that well, part think, we know think about if they if if retailers or whoever it is says hey this is basically the barrel proof version of old forester birthday bourbon 
Um, and you know, it's kind of like the same thing where I think uh, all all the different Weller extensions are coming because it's like, hey, we couldn't get you Pappy, but we can get you, you know, Weller Pumpkin Spice or whatever the one is now, and uh, Weller Single Barrel, and and I think it's kind of that same thing. Hey, we can't get you Old Forester Birthday Bourbon, but we can yeah. get you the bottled and bond of the 150 or it, that's, I mean, I guess fortunately that's where the market's going. Everybody wants more bourbon and we're getting better options at the same time. So, yeah. And uh, Michael, your brought something up on here talking about, I know Fred had announced it talking about peg leg porker 15 year. And it was like, I think, I don't know how expensive it was, but it was a 15 year old dickle at 90 proof. I think, uh, like, like, three or four or $500. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like brings up uh, an idea in my head to kind of even think about, you know, when we look at the limited editions that are coming out there from a few of these places, a lot of these, like, I mean, old Forester 150 anniversary, like six to eight years, 150 bucks. Like, is that something to really like, you know, it's not, it's not a massive amount. It's not a huge age statement. Like E.H. Taylor marriage was 18 years. Okay, cool. Like that, that probably deserves, uh, you know, a, even a bump up in price from the $80 that they did. You know, when you look at something that's just like, yeah, it's four, six, eight years old. And, you know, hell, we're selling a 15 year old Tennessee bourbon on the box right now. <laughs> edit, edit, edit. Uh, at, a, at, a, uh, at a extreme comparatively discount at barrel proof at 110 bucks, something, something that we picked. And now I'm like, shit, $500 a bottle. Maybe we should have been doing that. Well, yeah, and uh, we Red 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 also. We could have. Yeah, there you go. Rare Bird brought up uh, Sweetens Cove, and I think every mm-hmm. one of these like high price source whiskeys are unique. Like, and you have to like look at them differently. Peg Leg Porker is uh, owned and operated by <laughs> a famous barbecue guy. Like, he's like one of the best pet mm-hmm. pit masters in the world. And you know, Sweetens Cove is Peyton Manning. So, I mean, you're looking at a couple celebrities, and they're and they're one's an A lister. The other one's and a big and guy. And you're D-listers? Is that what you're saying? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I forget what D-list. you're calling us. Yeah. I think he was going to say non-listers. but <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, None of us are on the Peyton Manning list. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, I, but, I, I, but I agree. Gary, a peg, peg leg is like, I mean, he's a he's a big time yeah, yeah. In the barbecue I mean, world. I mean, he's, he's the shit. And so I think when you have like, when you have people coming in with outside audiences that aren't targeting us, I think they have a super fan that will pay for that. And yeah. in the case of Peyton Manning's, you know, they're, they were targeting the, the golf course community. And man, you ain't, you ain't, you don't, I mean, people blow more money at a golf course on stupid shit than they do at a craps table in Vegas. I Amen. mean, that golf a course lot is of dumb sweet money. <laughs> it's a sweet cove. It's a, it's a dangerous place. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about bringing back to old Forrester that, I mean, Hell, they probably saw Willett selling four to six year old bourbon, you know, at that price. And they're like, well, hell, if they can do it, we can, you know. And it comes with a tube. You know, Willett, you don't even get tubes anymore. Well, that's <laughs> sure. an extra 50 bucks right there. <laughs> at least 50. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt that Brown Foreman is tasting their whiskey and tasting their competitors' whiskeys who are pricing absurdly high mm-hmm. and saying, why the hell is that commanding that price when our stuff is 10 times better, you know, and they King of Kentucky kind of comes out and it kind of blows the, the doors off the, you know, a lot of tasters. And, you know, I think they're probably, they might be assessing that 
uh, elsewhere. It'll be very interesting to see how they do it with Woodford Reserve, which has really all been about packaging versus like limited edition, you know, upping the quality, if you will. They've got the batch proof, with his, which is nice. Batch proof is very nice, but, you know, typically like their Derby release, which is their big like annual release that people line up and get. It's the same liquid and it's all about the bottle. So for Woodford Reserve, it's all about the packaging. For Old Forester, it seems to be about the whiskey. Well, and the other thing, every all six of us have been, every time we've talked to anyone at Old Forester, we've said, or at Brown Foreman, they said, we've said, give us barrel strength. Yep. And so they finally did it in the, uh, w- with some really high proof stuff. They kind of eased into it with 1920. And then they finally gave it to us. We've been crying for it for so long. They're like, well, it, the demand's out there. Let's charge for it. For sure. Yep. yep. Speaking of I mean, demand, you ready to move into the next subject, or Jordan, you have another comment nah, there? Well, I was just going to throw out for Brown Foreman, too, right? So I think they tested the waters and saw how good it was going with King of Kentucky, right? Yeah. And I think all of us ever, at least for us, it's always a consideration. Super limited release, but man, is that some great whiskey every year, right? So and I think they saw, okay, we can do this. Let's let's see what else we can do a little bit bigger. And that's, and that's where they went. So let's go ahead. We'll try to talk, uh, as we're talking about limited editions, you know, one thing that we had talked about on the last roundtable was kind of like releases and and what are we really seeing happening? Because we've now had sort of three, I guess you could say limited edition releases that have happened. Uh, Two have been online. Uh, So you've had Old Forester Birthday Bourbon and you've had Four Roses Limited Edition Small Batch. And then you had Angel's Envy who did a traditional camp out kind of atmosphere. So I kind of want to throw a few things at you all and kind of see what's been done right and what's been done wrong. I, I kind of want to start pointing a finger first at Angel's Envy. Um, my opinion is that this was done in poor taste because they knew that people were going to line up. We are in still considered a pandemic. I know a lot of people are wanting to move on. However, they didn't do anything to you know, keep people away, not people line up, keep people away from camping. Um, does anybody have anything else to kind of add or? I mean, if it's outside and I don't know if they had six feet apart, you know, that's fine. I mean, you know, we did the same shit at Lowe's or any other store. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's the way I would handle it, you know, but I don't, I wasn't there, so I don't know how well it was done, but, uh, you know, if if you're camping inside, I think that's bad. You have lines inside, but if it's outside, you know, I don't think it's as bad because they're allowing a lot of other things happen outside. You know, we're doing soccer games, we're doing, uh, we're doing all this other stuff. So as long as it's outside, I'm cool with it. But you know, inside, I think that's where it gets kind of a little, little uh, iffy. I will say, I think they still did like one or two people in and out at the at one time. What I understand is that there were way more people there than there were bottles. And I believe, I don't know which Henderson actually went out and actually gave gift cards to people to use in the gift shop at a later date uh, to come back and uh, because they, they didn't have enough bottles for everybody. Doesn't it, doesn't it make you like it more if you're there in person versus all the online stuff? I mean, there's, there's still that component to it. You went there, you camped out, you got, you were the lucky son of a bitch. You got it. So <laughs> yes. if, if, as long as you're being safe about it, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's it's tough to go to all online stuff, and and I didn't get any. I didn't get any of the four roses. I didn't get anything from Total Wine. I missed out on all of those, and I didn't. And I'm not about to stand in any line 
But, you know, when you get something after waiting for it, it means more. And it's hard to do a long because you got Kenny, Kenny scraping the website. (laughs) (laughs) I think you can do it without just doing like a bot free for all. Right. So, which, which is what you saw with old Forrester. So I think you could also do like digital scavenger hunt, like have an online quiz where like you're learning about brand history. Like there's a, there's an educational aspect that you could include to like educate the consumer here. And if you get it right, doesn't mean you get a bottle, just means you're entered into a lottery to get a bottle. So basically along the way you one educated the consumer right? They feel good. They learn something new. And if they succeed, then they're in the lottery to, to potentially get a bottle. So there's ways of doing it that isn't just open up the floodgates and let bots scrape everything, right? So I, I think it was in, in this time, probably a little bit in poor form, right? All things considered, um, there's other ways that they could have explored first, probably besides doing what they did. Kenny bot. Yeah. I, I, like, I, will, the, uh, I like the history question idea. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. That's a good one. It's a good way to throw a little bit more brand recognition in there. If you're going to have people yeah. on your site anyway, you might as well fill them with a little bit more history. Uh, and just to make sure we set the record straight, I have not gotten anything from Old Forester or Four Roses or anything like that. So no, the, the Kenny bot didn't work. And, and so we'll, we'll kind of switch it over into the other side here and the two different online releases. So there were, there were two of them. So Four Roses um, was a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say like behind the covers, you don't really know what happens. Um, so you put your name into an email or into a sign-on sheet and you hope for the best. There's no, you know, there's, there's no like randomizer. They don't show you exactly how people were chosen. You just, if you got an email, you got an email. You, you put your, you put your blind luck into somebody. Um, you know, the other part with both this and Old Forester is that since they are online releases, you had people from all around the country that were now getting after these bottles, which they were only typically for people in the Louisville and Kentucky surrounding areas. Um, I mean, I know that I know of people in Florida that won a bottle at Four Roses and took a plane plane ride up to go and collect their bottle. Right? It so, was not me. But it was not me. It was not you. It was not you. It was actually our man flies to Lawrenceburg. It was. It was I drank a, some of that uh, bourbon. But, yeah, uh, mutual friend of ours. Mutual friend yeah. of ours. And and that's cool because you know at some point you know they get to experience you know and actually being there and whatnot. Um, for a lot of people, you have to figure out what's that break even of what you could just pay after it in secondary to be able to pay for a, a flight and stuff like that. Um, you know, but for, I think a lot of uh, locals, it might put a sour taste in the mouth because there's one huge factor here that I don't know was ever accounted for. And I don't know ever will be is that, so what if all these outsiders, all I keep saying outsiders, all these people that are not local (laughs) and they win a bottle and they never go to collect it. What happens with those bottles? (laughs) It's like those state checks that never get cashed. Which, yeah, and that's why I think a, a lot of these distilleries are still trying to combat that it, all those problems that we're talking about with online releases by having the people line up and try. I mean, I don't know exactly how Angels Envy did it, but if they were still having people socially distanced, they're outside. It's one or two people in at a time. I think they said, hey, look, we'll we'll take a little bit of, you know, maybe pushback we get from people um online about doing this during the pandemic as opposed to the headaches that come from having somebody travel from across the country or not picking up their bottle at all or you know putting in 50,000 entries from different emails you know i think there there's probably problems on both sides and ultimately these distillers just landed on hey we'll we'll just continue to do our in-person thing and let it shake out 
But so that's, I think in terms of just to answer that question, Kenny, like what if people don't pick up their bottles? So live in PA, right? They used to do lotteries for a lot of limited releases and they basically, I don't want to call it like a second chance lottery, but like they would trickle back out. Like if bottles got returned or something happened, someone was disqualified, they just email the next person in line, right? And that's it. You want a bottle. So like there's ways of doing it and, or distillery could always just drop them randomly in their gift shop, maybe during non-COVID times. So if they're going to be open and people are visiting, like, yeah, just, just surprise folks. Let's just, you know, dribble one out here and there. No random, no random time or anything like that. Just have a pop open. Right. And one, it gives people more incentive to visit your distillery and two first come first serve, right? Nobody needs to line up in the morning. It's just, yeah, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. I can't drive to Lawrenceburg every day, George. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I kind of like, I've, I've been listening and in, in reading in the chat and I've been kind of collecting my thoughts on this because I'm actually kind of passionate about it. And I just like, can we all just take a minute and just give, you know, cut some slack for some people? I mean, <laughs> it's it's tough to right now for, for a distillery. I mean, for God's sakes, they had to pivot and make fucking hand sanitizer. And they haven't been able to, like, you know, take care of people like they normally would. And, you know, everybody wants to lose their shit over an online ordering system going bad or 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 like an in-person thing. I mean, what happened to good old basic empathy? Like, I just I just think that we're you know, you see it in restaurants, people complaining uh, about the service they are getting when these poor, you know, um, you know, staff members are having to run around carrying up, you know, 150 degree pizza you know, sweating their ass off with a mask on. They can barely breathe and they're up. The people are upset because they got pepperoni and not Italian sausage. I mean, it's just like we, at some point, man, first world problems, let's, <laughs> let's relax. You didn't get the bottle you want. You're alive. I mean, be happy about that for a moment, you know? And if it's it just, it's just, it's bourbon, you know, th these people are, you know, trying to like, you know, put food on their table for their families. And I'm not talking about the people who own it. I'm talking about, you know, the, the, the 55 year old woman, uh, you know, working the cash register at, at, uh, angels envy. I'm talking about the tour guide who volunteered to, you know, help with the old forester issues. I mean, let's just relax. Just bourbon. Well, Fred, I wish there we would have said that for last because I have one more gripe. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a better way to close out this. <laughs> That's hilarious. I got one more pettiness. I've got to, I've got to hit on Old Forester just a little bit. I know, I know, we should all be happy and thankful. So I, I, I will say I've, I've got to just. Um, got to talk about their release of it. So what they did is they did theirs based on email and saying that, you know, what the link will be sent to you. And that's when you go and you, you go and you actually can add it to cart and do whatever. And it was a completely different site, not their regular old forester shop. So it threw a lot of people off, which is really weird because it was actually on the site for a little bit and then it said sold out. And then it, we were just like waiting for the, you know, the inventory count to come back on. But anyway, for anybody that doesn't know how the internet works, is that you just can't send an email and think that's going to go to 40,000 people all at once, right? I don't know how many people are on that email list, but mm -hmm. everything gets staggered. So whoever gets that email first has minutes of a head start. So you got to see everybody online complain that said, oh, it was sold out by the time I even got the email. Like I was sitting at my desk and you don't know 
how many different email servers has to bounce off to finally hit to your inbox. So it was only favoring the select few who got the early email. And that's just how it works. So I think that doing the, the email side was honestly a, a, a bit chaotic and, and the wrong way to do it. The best way to do it, honestly, is to actually put the link out there and make sure you've got enough horsepower behind that server and say at 12 o'clock, we're going to flip that inventory button on and the first person that can go and check out can do it. So it's uh, it's a tough game to play. But yeah, email is just the wrong way to do it. But didn't like Brown Foreman like totally just get hacked? Like, I mean, they got they had like an international hacking incident like a week before this, th that whole thing went down. If anything, I would say, you know, maybe they, you know, change up their, their release strategy based on that. But, you know, they, again, it's, it was not perfect. And they came out afterward and apologized immediately, you know, you know, Jackie and, um, Campbell, uh, Campbell came out and, you know, did that live stream and, and you know, I, it happens, man. It happens. Yeah, it's funny true. when you, when I saw this topic, I thought we were going to talk about which limited release we liked flavor wise, <laughs> not, uh, <laughs> not on uh, release methods. So, but yeah, totally, no, I mean, totally whipped yeah. on that. So, what do you it, like though, Kenny or it's Ryan? Out, out of those, I did not like the birthday bourbon. Uh, I, I didn't either. That, I think it's, the last two have been so good. It was really disappointing this year for me. Um, Four Roses can, is always great. You can yeah, check our whiskey quickies and all these. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's oh, going to... Uh, oh, thanks. Ryan, you want to go ahead and close it out for us? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, let Mr. I'll let Mr. Griper close uh, it out. It's okay. We'll go ahead and we'll close it out. <laughs> I'm gonna make. We're gonna. We're gonna split. We're gonna cut the episode. We're gonna have Fred's at the very end, and we'll be like, "And now, okay." I'm closing this week's podcast, guys. I want to say thank you so much for coming on, and thank you to uh, 150 plus people that were also joining us live to be a part of this on this 49th edition of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. Stick around after this recording. We'll probably have some more fun things to talk about, but I will go ahead and let you fellas close it out. And Jordan, we'll start with you first. Sure. Another great episode. Thanks for having us. Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, one of three guys who runs BreakingBourbon.com. Check us out for our latest reviews and uh, release calendar. Brian. All right. Brian with Sipping Corn. Find me on all the socials at Sipping Corn and online BourbonJustice.com and SippingCorn.com. Thanks for number 49. Looking forward to the big 5-0. All right. Blakey. Yeah, once again, I'm Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox.com. Always fun to be on this, you know, 49 in a row. There may have been a slip up here and there, but I'm never going to admit to that. I, I choose to believe I've been here for all 49. So, Kenny, Ryan, Fred, thanks again for having me. Awesome. Always. Yep. As a fantastic conversation tonight, a lot of good topics, probably spawn something in there that we'll be able to talk about for the 50th coming up here in a month. So, Cheers, everybody, and we'll see you all, well, number 50 in a month, but also next podcast next week. Cheers, Cheers. everyone. Toodles. Cheers. Cheers.